going to continue uh, just thinking about Jesus with his disciples. That whole um, idea of, of we are like gold and uh, God, how much God values, how much God treasures. It wasn't going to start like this, but it was just uh, as we've been, actually as we were singing the last song, there's this um, sense of um, what I want to talk about this morning is how much God wants us to know him, how much he wants us to, to hear, or how much he wants to be engaged with us. Um, that often we're trying to work out how we can get his attention, how we can get him to listen to us, how we can get him to do stuff for us. And uh, he's wanting us to actually understand that he wants that union with us more than he does. And uh, that whole area of how brokenness becomes made whole, but the thing that I'm trying to get to is, is... God has no favorites. And uh, it's really easy in communities um, to break down relationships and start saying, God has favorites. And the picture I had was, was, you know, it's so easy to bring people to God and say, fix them, I'm angry with them, I'm this and I'm that. And, and the picture I had was God sort of saying, um, yeah, I remember him when he was born. I remember the light in his eyes. I remember his first cry. And starting, I'm seeing God like this old man and every single person I bring to him, he does this to. And it's really irritating because I'm saying, I'm fed up with this. I'm da 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 And he stops me and he just says, oh, I remember, that's one of my favorites. And he totally disarms me because he knows that person at a level that I haven't got a clue about. Maybe the only way one could get close to that is to say, um, everybody bring their children up here and then choose which one's going to die. One of your kids is going to die. Right now, which one is it going to be? And for each one that dies, God says, that's what you're doing when you're actually stabbing each other. When you're stabbing each other and you come to me and you start praying, I say, take the knife out and stop doing it because I love completely. I don't care the reason. You see, it's easy to talk about loving and it's easy to talk about God caring and all the rest of it. It is profoundly challenging to love unconditionally. It is profoundly challenging to take my unclench the buds of my hands and make them into blossoms and say, Jesus, you do in me what I can't do. We're going to spend weeks looking at the Holy Spirit. We cannot do the depth of Christian living that God desires in this place. If you want revival in this place, you're going to need crucifixion. It doesn't come cheap. And it doesn't come with conditions. And it doesn't come with other people pay attention. It comes with me laying down my life. And it doesn't come with words and it doesn't come with bumper stickers and it doesn't come with anything other than a humble heart. Here am I, Lord, purify me. And that introduction, which wasn't rehearsed, is about God saying, I so loved the world that I became flesh. And Jesus, we we said this many times, Jesus comes into this world and he spends 30 years waiting for the Spirit to come and then he does his ministry and he draws these disciples together who become enormously attracted to this man who reveals the love of the Father in a way that they never... I mean, the Jewish people used to think God was Jewish. He's our God. 
when they prayed, kill the Romans, kill the Greeks, kill the barbarians. And their God becomes flesh and he says, I love them. And they're offended by that. How could you blaspheme? We say we love God within the paradigms of our own understandings, of our own versions of God. And we have our own versions of everything. Whether it's Christianity, whether it's the understanding of the Scriptures, whether it's what renewal means, whether it's what the Holy Spirit... Everything that we know and hold fast to is, as Paul says, seeing through a glass darkly, so it is by definition limited. Which is why we need humility of spirit, because we do not see everything clearly. And it doesn't always make sense. And it's not always fair. And it's always confusing. And sometimes it's disappointing. So the only thing we can walk with is the presence of the character of Jesus and his Holy Spirit that says, I will be with you always in the midst of all this other stuff. That's our hope. Our hope is, what do I do when I don't understand? What do I do when it doesn't make sense? What do I do when it's not going my way? Whatever I do is a testimony to how deeply Jesus is in me. And the word is made flesh. What does that mean? It's made flesh. What does it mean? It's made flesh. What does it mean? It's made flesh. Whatever is true in you needs to be heard through you, seen through you, touched through you. Not spiritualized. No ducking, no weaving, no sidestepping. We know the truth in one another by the way we treat one another. Period. No exceptions. The early Christians died young. What we're talking about this morning is why did Jesus go to so much trouble rising from the dead and then being known to his disciples? It's easy to believe things about God but to not be convicted to the level where my life changes. It's easy to say I believe God, I believe that he died on the cross, he rose again. It's one thing to believe, it's another thing to be convicted to the level that your lifestyle changes. God is looking for convicted disciples, not believers who just know about it. That's an invitation, by the way. It's not an absolute, this is not a negative talk at all. It's merely going, we say things like, we, in our weakness he is strong and stuff. Well then, in, in your weakness, let him be strong. Carol said that actually. You don't have to stay broken. In my brokenness, Jesus, I thank you that you're healing me. I'm damned if I'm going to be healed. You dropped me. Well, you dropped Jesus. And he was crucified. So get off your high horse and die quietly, as Graham Cook says. You got your attention? The disciples are behind closed doors. They're still terrified. They know that Jesus is not in the grave. They know that he's made an appearance. And here's another little thing. Jesus appears to Mary as the gardener. She doesn't recognize him and then she, you know, she recognizes when he calls her name. One of the amazing things about God, I want to encourage you actually this morning, this is not a hard, heavy sermon apart from this launch, which really is only hard if I want to stay alive and follow Jesus and hold on to whatever I have to hold on to. That's the only hard part. The easy part is let it go and he will do. Then it's not so bad. Um, but 
it's so easy for us to, to mold God into the way we've experienced him. I'm going to touch on that in a minute. I won't interrupt myself. So these guys, are, they, 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 they're terrified. They're locked up. We've said this for the last four weeks. And they're behind closed doors and they've got these little snippets of information about Jesus appears and then Jesus walks through the wall and he appears to them. And it is totally shattering to them. It's totally mind-blowing. It's incredibly exciting and yet terrifying. And we've heard that Thomas, you know, said, where is he? And then he appears to Thomas and he appears to Mary and he appears to Cleopas and possibly his wife on the Emmaus Road. We talked about that last week. He appears to Peter. Why? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the Twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained, remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, then, all, then by all the apostles, and then he says, and then, last of all, he was seen by me on the Damascus Road. Why? Because God knows that resurrection doesn't come naturally to human beings. The Word became flesh. God spent a lot of time with Jesus' resurrection appearances helping the disciples to believe the unbelievable. So he appears to these individuals in a variety of ways. And he says, touch me. Here are my scars. Give me some food. I want you to come from belief to conviction. Because those disciples were going to actually be tested like they hadn't even imagined. Everything they believed was going to be challenged. And how they responded to that challenge would be a demonstration of their conviction. The foundations of the church the cliche is now a cliche, but it wasn't when they were alive. The foundation of the church is in the blood of the martyrs. They died, like Jesus, for their faith, for a conviction that I cannot but say, He is Lord. You want to make an impact in North America, get some conviction deeper than just lip service. I'm not judging, I'm speaking to myself. We're persecuted if we run out of chocolate. Our level of tolerance, our level of giving up is pathetic. The, the depth of your conviction and my conviction is demonstrated in how we behave when we're under pressure. How we behave when we're persecuted. How we behave when things don't go right. That's the level of when does, the, when does the, my ceiling on the lo unconditional love of Jesus get cut off? And we can talk as much as we like but those around us will tell us if we don't know. Yeah, you're great until this. <laughs> I noticed when I was in England at university and I re kept running out of money, that's kind of when I started getting antsy. Life is how God teaches us who he is and who we are. And so he appears to these disciples, he appears to Paul because he wants them to know that they know that they know. And you go, well, why can't he do that to me? Then I will know that I know that I know. And in many ways he says, you know, if you hold on to that word, the word made flesh, I want you to know that I want you to know. So the disciples, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. As he says to you and to me today, Peace be with you. 
They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it. Look at my hands and my feet, the central message of the cruci- the, of, of Christianity. Jesus Christ, laying down his life on a cross, rising from the dead. There is no other faith in the world that has this testimony. The one around whom faith is built in Christianity is entirely linked to the identity of Jesus, not to his teaching, to his identity. And Jesus ultimately said, don't listen to my teaching, look at my works. In other words, my teaching is totally integrated with who I am. You can take the teachings of Islam, you can take the teachings of Buddha, you can take the teachings of every other faith and you can hold them separate to the person who gave the teaching. Jesus is the only one who says, if my teaching isn't true, then I am not true. If I did not rise from the dead, Paul says, He's most, we are the people most to be pitied. There is a radical, radical nature to Christianity about which God wants us to be convicted. So he, for 40 days after the crucifixion, he appears to all these people to begin to build a testimony of witnesses and a group of witnesses who can testify, we have seen Jesus alive, risen, eating fish in Galilee, up in uh, Jerusalem. We've touched him. He's not a ghost. He has blown apart our paradigm. We didn't know a human being could rise from the dead. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. Because Jesus knows, and we probably know too, unless you have conviction, your heart will not burn. Unless you have conviction, nothing will change. You'll just be a church-attending Christian, and like so many have testimonies too. Well, they call themselves Christians. Look how they behave. See, Christians aren't people who go around repairing the pottery so that it looks like they're fine. Christians are people who go, I am just so grateful that as I break, there is a master craftsman who can release some healing into me. That doesn't justify my breaking, it's just part of the inevitability of life. So, what is a testimony to God's greatness is the quality of the gold work in my cracks. Doesn't sound very good, though. But you know what I mean. <laughs> it's, it, it's a testimony of being healed, of being whole. Because for somebody else who's still broken, they go, Is there any hope for me? Of course there is. Because you're in the hands of one. Upon You are not a challenge to God. The Word is made flesh. It's just as God sent the disciples, Jesus in his resurrected form, he sends into our lives people with their hearts alive that we would know his life. People to encourage us, people to bear witness to God's goodness, people with testimonies. The word made flesh around you sends you into people's lives that they would know that God is alive because of how you share how he did something for you and in you. I thought I was thinking about this and thinking of how God's 
I mean, the, the, the multitudes of people that I could talk about that I have touched my life or I didn't even know touched my life. When uh, Isabel and Ivan Alam came here, by the way, they are booked to come here in 2020 in September, just in case. Um, that was the earliest. But uh, one of the testimonies, uh, one of the things that Ivan said over my life was, you know, he said, since the age, and I've never heard this, but since the age of six, there's been something in you. And, that, and around the age of six was when I was a choir boy in this private school that I was part of, and I sang in the choir as a treble, and I was a treble soloist. I was very sweet. Um, I told you this. Um, I sang Foray's Requiem, the solos. We sang all the traditional church music for five and a half years, going to practices on Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday evening chapel, singing through the prayer books of the Anglican Church for five and a half years. And for me, it was a place to belong. I didn't know what it really meant, but I, I, the best I can say is it's like a, a boy smelling bread, but he doesn't know it's bread. He just knows there's something here. And God, and what I'm illustrating is even though the form was something I'm not that thrilled with, God uses whatever is around us and he can redeem anything and use anything to give us a sense of himself. And so there was a sense of something um, that I think I got from a very early age but I didn't know what it was. I just knew that something stirred in me and sometimes the music stirred me and sometimes the words, but I don't know. And then as I got to my teenage years, I went to a youth group and there I heard that Jesus loved me and as a little orphan spirit, that was profound. And so I spent five years in a youth group and began to participate in it. And, and Brian was one of the leaders. And uh, I can't remember the other guy. I can see him, but I can't remember. Uh, Brian and, and a few others. John was one. But those guys poured in. They, were, they, they weren't radical. They weren't charismatic. They were just giving us guys some opportunity to know who Jesus was and to know who community was and to know who friendship, what friendship was. In other words, the Word was made flesh. Now, part of the flesh was looking at the girls and going, hmm. But the other part of the flesh was, God is good, God is real, God, Jesus is alive and he loves you. And all I know is that for every step of my life, the word has been made flesh. And there's an aspect of God that's come through multitudes of people. Vic was a man who worked for De Beers Consolidated Mines and gave up his... Early, he early retired to meet with students and he met with me. He was the first man in my life who ever said, John, I believe in you. At 18 years old. 19 years old. He would take me out for breakfast and I would mock him. Or kind of go, oh Vic, and he would say, oh you're true blue, straight as a blade, great man, John. And I didn't know what to do with it, but it warmed me. And he was the guy who when I f eventually said yes to the Lord for full-time ministry, he came up one morning in one of our prayer meeting things we had in the community I was part of and said, John, I think you should go overseas and I'll pay for your air flight. Nobody had ever done that. I had no clue about generosity. Everything was conditional in my life. And I went to the selection board and they said, yes, you can go, you can get trained in Cape South Africa 
And he had said, no, I think you should go overseas. And so I submitted that to them and they said, yes, you can go if you can raise the funds. I applied to Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. I had no money. And uh, they said yes. And I got some from the church and some from my family and some from, um, I think, a, a bursary or something. And when I went to Oxford, it was the most ridiculous me going there. And God kind of said, well, you committed your life to me and I'm just showing you what I'm like. Because for me, it was way out of my paradigm. And I went to that place um, hugely intimidated. And all my faith was challenged by this intellectual atmosphere and God was saying, I'm going to show you that actually you don't need to defend me. I'm actually able to use all these things to build you. And I learned there about thinking. I learned there about inquiring. I learned there that one of the most attractive things to me, how God speaks to me, is through books. And that you can actually think. And you can actually question. And you can actually explore things and you can find answers that satisfy the mind that, aren't cons- that are consistent with faith in Jesus. It was there that I met Jackie Pollinger when she was just beginning to go to Hong Kong and deal with uh, drug addicts. And her testimony is about speaking in tongues and how she spoke in tongues and people came cold turkey off drugs. Way beyond my paradigm. This attractive blonde woman in her 30s speaking about Jesus. But the word was made flesh. I went down to London once to listen to Joni Erickson. Uh, I've told you these stories before, but I was just remembering them. Joni Erickson sitting in a wheelchair at All Souls Langham Place. And I thought I was going to see this little old missionary with a bun in her hair and it was this really gorgeous girl. And I'm saying this deliberately because my paradigms were being broken. A gorgeous girl saying, I'm not interested in men. I'm actually, I would rather, and she said, I would rather be in this wheelchair and know Jesus than not be in this wheelchair and not know him. And she's not healed, but she's free. That rocked my world. The word was made flesh. Because the thing that I've always wanted is authenticity. The thing that I've always wanted is it's got to be real. And so I've pursued that. And I encourage you to pursue it. God wants to be known and he wants to know, be known with conviction. And conviction grows over time. When I went back to South Africa, the first thing that happened after I was ordained as a priest was there was political unrest and the thing was, were we going to go and face the government and stand and say black equality is what is required in this country? And I stood next to Desmond Tutu and from Desmond Tutu, who I don't agree with in a lot of his theology, but he, I have huge admiration. He, he's so funny. He's got this incredibly wicked sense of humor. And, and he's got courage. And I just saw courage. And what I'm trying to, to say is um, when I was in Oxford, Michael Green was an intellectual teacher who just was very affable and Billy Graham. All these people gave me something about some aspect of who God is. And all I'm trying to encourage us is to don't ever settle for what you have. Don't ever settle for the small experience you have of God up until now. Don't ever think that you've got the whole thing together. 
because you've worked this little bit out, because there's multitudes of other aspects that God is wanting to feed into who you are, if you're willing to. Because God appears to you like Jesus appeared to his disciples through human form, and the people around you are very often the people he's trying to speak to you through. You and I romanticize that if I was alive in Jesus' day, I would have paid attention. I promise you we're all going to stand before God and he's going to say to you and me, I sent you this and I sent you this and I sent you this and I sent you this through these people made flesh around you and you refused to listen. Or you didn't think you could, speak, you could hear through them. Whatever it is. And I'm not talking about conflict. I'm not talking about negative things. I'm just saying a humble listening that goes, there are so many ways that God wants to pour into your and my life. If we just have humility and listen and pay attention. Sometimes we're spending so much time trying to get the word of knowledge and somebody's tapping us on the shoulder, say Aaron, and he's saying, John, can I talk to you? And I'm going, I'm trying to get a word of knowledge. And Aaron doesn't even know he's going to give me a word of knowledge. He's trying to have a conversation with him. God's saying, God, John, for God's sake, listen to Aaron. We're, try <laughs> we're, we're trying so hard to get super spiritual when he's actually knocking on our door, answering our prayer. The thing is, I'm wanting to have this conversation and he's wanting to have this conversation. And that this conversation is the one he actually wants to have, but I'm trying to have this other conversation that might be nothing about what he wants to talk to me about. Authenticity is about living life day by day in the mundane and finding the extraordinary all along the way. One of the curses of our culture is that there's so much internet access, so many things. I'm at, at a, I'm at a point right now where I've got blog, blog fatigue. Because I get all these emails from, and I love all these people, Graham Cook and Bolts and all these guys, but I go, I can't read it all. So there's a, but, no, I, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not a negative, it's just a season. Or it might be select one and don't worry about the rest for now, and then go to another one. It's not about being negative about any of it. It's an incredible privilege, but it's just I can only take so much in. So it's up to me to measure what I do. It's not to blame them for sending it. It's just to me to measure and then use what I can. So there are different seasons where sometimes you're just hungry for everything you can get. Other times maybe you need to focus on one thing. But what I'm trying to say is that just as Jesus appeared to those disciples and said, touch my, touch, 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 God is saying, touch, touch, touch. Through people we might never have expected he would be speaking through. And he says to them, touch my hands, touch my feet. I don't, we're not going to spend long on this, but it's just the crucified Jesus risen is the core of Christianity. Touch my hands, touch my feet. This is the scars of what it cost for us, for me to be here and for you to be forgiven and talking to me now. There is no shortcut through the sins that need to be forgiven for all of us all the time. But when God speaks, he never accuses. He just says, bring it to me. Sometimes if you're struggling with your communication with God and with other people, just ask him to reveal a sin that's not being confessed. He doesn't do it to accuse you at all. He's like bringing a dirty kid into the bathroom and saying, let's have a shower. Let's clean you up. Then you'll be able to hear something. Because if you can't hear the obvious, why are you going to hear the other stuff? I mean, if we can't even hear that we're dirty, we're not going to hear anything else that's going to have power. 
As Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. Whose lips get touched? Isaiah's. Touch all their lips, Lord. No, I want to touch yours, Isaiah. Because through you will come a revelation as you humble yourself. And so Jesus says to them, In verse 44, this really jumped out at me. He said to them, this is what I told you while I I was still with you. He says this twice in this passage. This is what... So go back to John 14 and Jesus says things... uh, uh, You know, he tells us what he says to them and he says to them that my Father will send you the Comforter. We read this often at, at funerals. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to... All of these things he told them, and they didn't get it. Just like I don't get it. Just like you don't get it. In other words, we're always getting it again in another way. We're always getting a new nuance, a new understanding of something. And we thought we got it. And he's saying, this is that. This is that. That's what Peter said. Remember when they, got, they, they were anointed at Pentecost, which we're going to think about in a few weeks. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and it was radical. And he says, this is that. Joel's prophecy. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. The whole, this whole thing is an ongoing sort of... Um, spiral of understanding of revelation that goes on all our lives. So, a little hippie guy, uh, a surfer, had me kneeling behind a Hessian curtain in 1972, praying for the gift of tongues as the most awkward, embarrassing, totally unemotional, unspiritual moment I could ever imagine. Two years later, I was in Swaziland, on my knees after reading Catherine Coleman book, praying for my grandmother in tongues because it made sense. She said you should pray for people who have needs and you don't know their needs. Tongues is good. So I prayed for my grandmother to die and a week later, but within that week I got a telegram in those days and said she's died. Got my attention. Went to a mission up in Durban in South Africa in 19... That was earlier I think actually. And again, in other words, there's these multiple experiences of the same thing, but at different levels. Helping me settle down, help me to be embraced, help me to not just push it away, help me to go, this is that. And I just encourage you, because you've had one bad experience, you had an incomplete experience, that's not the end. This is the beginning. We're all at the beginning. And you could turn to the person right next to you now and say, you've got a lot to learn. <laughs> that should be easy it should be a joy and you should be able to say yes I know you have a lot to learn I mean how many of us are opinionated about our Christian faith our Christian walk and our Christian knowledge you have a lot to learn isn't that wonderful the only thing at the bottom of the barrel is you and me the knowledge there's lots to learn that's going to be good news, by the way. I mean, imagine if we're stuck with what we know now. And so Jesus says to them, you know, uh, this is that, and I just want to... 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. And that was going to happen, I think, for when they met for a long time. They were going to remember things Jesus has told them and said, this is that. Now, I understand. And then the, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What do you think that means? I remember when I was in rebellion against God, I was fed up with him. I experienced my mind being closed. I experienced no interest. I experienced anger. I experienced absolutely nothing. It was closed. Until there was a breakthrough in my own spirit and then I became hungry again. A hunger for the scriptures is a gift from God. But the problem is, as he says in the scriptures themselves, you search the scriptures that you won't come to me. The only value of the scriptures is they bring us to a living relationship with Jesus. If we have a living relationship with Jesus, but no living, uh, we have a living relationship with the scriptures, but no living relationship with Jesus, we've just missed the point. Which is what religious people end up doing. You see, if you have religious, if you have a spiritual, a, a, a relationship with the scriptures, you just end up with rules and regulations and knowledge. But you have no power, you have no passion. And people who don't have the passion of Jesus by the Holy Spirit end up with the passion of legalism. And the word destroys. And the word comes in heavy and pharisaical. And the word comes in in a hard way. And that's what causes people to go, I don't want to know anything about you. But the word that is filled with relationship and love of Jesus comes in soft and powerful and resonates in hearts because people are longing to know that they are loved and that there's hope for them. They don't need to be told they're sinners. Love will bring people to repentance. Love will bring people to hope for something. It doesn't matter how long they've been Christian. That message never goes bad. Oh, but what happens is grace is going to destroy that. They're just going to get away with stuff. Not if your life is filled and salted with Jesus, they won't. You see, it costs something to lay down your life and walk with somebody. It's easy to throw emails and other stuff at people. The word needs to be made flesh. Come and touch and see. What am I going to touch and see? My testimony. I remember when I was here, but God. I remember when this was a struggle, but God. I still haven't resolved this part. It's a mystery. I don't know the answer. I do know the one who I trust, and he is good, but I don't know why this is, because it's not fair, and I'm so sorry this is happening, because it's not his will for you. But he's going to be present with you and part of his presence with you is going to be how can I be here with you too? What do you need? Can we help you with some money? You see, as a church, we can do what we can't do on our own. As a church, somebody say, we have a need and I say, I don't have anything right now. I wish I could help. He said, but we do. And so as a church, we can help what I can't do. That's why we need one another. That's why we need community. Christianity is the most frustrating thing to live theologically and you know in a, in an abstract way, but when the word is made flesh, it's powerful. People with lots of gold cracks, helping other people who are still broken, and then this beautiful gold crack vase gets broken again. 
just another opportunity for gold to be poured out. So Jesus opened their minds and one of the great prayers we can pray is, Lord, will you keep my mind and heart open so that I can understand. I told you last week, probably one of my passions and what I am amazed at often is um, usually I look at the scripture for the following Sunday on a, maybe Sunday afternoon, sometimes a Monday morning and I just mull over it. I very seldom anymore look at commentaries. I occasionally do. But I'm much more, I just find it interesting how often things come to life as I'm just doing other stuff. And, uh, you know, even this passage, you know, I was doing something in the garden yesterday and it was just like, tell them I go to all this trouble because I want to be known. I want to be known more than you want to know me. And so Jesus took this initiative with his disciples and he became flesh and then after the resurrection he, he, he took this initiative of, of rising and appearing. And I think one of the core things he just wants to encourage you with is look for me and you will see me because I am here with you and I am here for you. And for some of you, you learn visually, some of you learn through reading, some of you learn through relationships. We need all of these aspects. You can't just wing it on relationships. You have to in the end get into the scriptures. Ask God to open your mind so that you can learn who he is. Let him speak to you. And then ask him how to apply it. I could go through, we don't have time. I mean, when he opened his, their minds to the scriptures, he went through all the Old Testament prophecies. They knew probably quite often by heart. And they knew them by heart, but they didn't understand them. So, Zechariah, look on me whom they have pierced. Psalm 118, the stone they rejected has become the cornerstone. Zechariah, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Isaiah 7, the virgin will give birth. Malachi 3, messenger preparing a way before me. Isaiah, you are my servant. Daniel, God will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. There are multitudes of them. But they didn't see it because they didn't know. And there are things in the scriptures that you and I will see, but we don't know. And in a particular season, he will make something come alive that will actually enhance or help. And then your heart will burn. And you go, this is that. And why is all this? Because you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. And why am I going to send you what my Father has promised, which is the Holy Spirit? We're going to talk about that in the future. Jesus didn't rise from the dead, appear to his disciples, so that they could become the first church of Jerusalem, meet together and recall all that Jesus did and that would be their life. He said, I am showing you this so that the conviction in you will bubble out and you will go into all the world and share how God loves, how God cares, how God heals, demonstrate with signs and wonders who I am. And you will tell your story as Paul did. This is what I was, this is what I become and it's all grace and all God and he has no favorites so it's for you as well. That's God's vision for the church. Ordinary human beings being set free with extraordinary love and power to share that extraordinary love and power with those around them. The word becoming flesh among us and beyond us. Let's stand.